0: Welcome to CAE Catalyst, Defense and Security Podcast. The word catalyst is most often associated with change. In the context of this podcast, we will be looking at the key drivers acting as a stimulus and bringing about results in the defense industry. CAE Catalyst joins experts from CAE and our industry to discuss relevant topics affecting our defense and security customers and community at large. From training to technology, we will discuss the catalysts that advance mission readiness. Hello, my name is Rodrigo Osorio. I'm business development manager for CAE Australia. Today, we have Justin Cook and Darrell Hopton uh, from RC-130J Capability. I'll start with an introduction around uh, RC-130J Capability. The Australian Defence Forces Aerospace Capability is continually evolving through upgrades and enhancements to meet the challenges of an increasingly complex defence and security environment. The ADF Aerospace Simulators and the training conducted using them are a key element of Australia's defence preparedness. The simulators and the training we must con- must continually evolve and align with the upgrades and enhancements of the aerospace flat- platforms and capabilities they represent. The C-130J Hercules variant is a reliable and combat-proven aircraft operated by the Royal Australian Air Force since 1999. The Commonwealth of Australia intends to further strengthen Australia, Australia Defence Forces' air mobility capability to project and sustain ADF presence in strategic operating environment through the acquisition of a fleet of 24 C-130J Hercules to replace the current fleet of 12 aircraft of the same type. I will introduce now Justin Cook, who's the uh, Program Manager for Air Mobility for CAE and Daryl Hopton, who's the maintenance manager for our C-130J capability.
1: Daryl, could you give us a little bit of an introduction uh, about your background and how long you've been with CAE? Yeah, uh, my name's uh, Daryl Hopton. I've been with CAE for about 22 and a half years now. Uh being currently the maintenance t- maintenance manager since about 2016. Previous to joining CAE, I was in the Air Force for 14 and a half years as a advanced avionics technician. Came into CAE um, with the actual uh, the delivery of the C-130H uh, simulator in 2001. Uh, CAE had been actually in the area since 1999, uh, where they had the uh, 707 simulator was the first simulator uh, delivered, and that was due to uh, the, the RAF deciding they needed actually a, a full-time simulator after the crash over Tasmania in 1999, when they were doing asymmetric training, and so they decided they needed a more capable simulation uh, simulator for that training. And then in 1999, they brought in a C-130J also uh, with the introduction of the new C-130J aircraft. In 2008, the 707 simulator was retired when the uh, 707 aircraft was withdrawn from the RAF. And then also in 2016, the uh, C-130H was retired and was uh, sent to Indonesia.
0: Thank you, Daryl and Justin. Can you give us a bit of your background, and also your history operating C one thirty Js, please?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hello, everyone. It's uh, it's great to be here. Um, first of all, I might say that Daryl, that uh, when the H model retired, it was a sad day for me. Um, H is very dear to my heart. Um, but uh, my background, I've got. Uh, I had twenty two years in the Air Force, where I actually started my aviation career. Uh, as a pilot with C-130Hs where I spent about seven years, a terrific start to a career, a fun one, and and certainly stretched me around the globe uh, and got to see what the C-130 can do. It was absolutely terrific. But I moved to training where I went to PC-9s uh, to train new pilots um, and then through a few staff jobs before I became an executive at 33 Squadron, which is our KC-30 Squadron for the, the RAF. And uh, I did two two jobs there before coming across the CAE where I, I did the lead instructor role for uh, about two and a half years before landing uh, the program manager job where I'm in charge of the KC30, C27 and C130 delivery um, I'm for CAE. And that's where I've been for, uh, for the last year or so.
0: Thank you. And um, so based on your position now uh, and obviously all your background can you give us your perspective on the criticality of training for RAF to maintain capability levels
2: a way i might be able to describe it is the c130 um is uh, it's been around a long time now daryl's been around a long time too as he just alluded to but uh uh, the C-130 has been around for a lot longer. And uh, and if we go through the evolution of what we've been through, it, it's quite remarkable where uh, uh, the training systems have come to. From a C-130 perspective, uh, we brought in A models, I think, before 1960, um, just before 1960. And we've operated e's, E models, Hs, and, and now J models, which came in, um, Darrell, I think you said about 1999. And look, the criticality of training for me for this platform uh, sums it up around the globe with a lot of platforms, but none more critical than the C130 in my perspective. And the reason I think it's critical for the C130 is, um, uh, it's just the sheer diversity of capability. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have flown the the C130 for a number of years, and starting my career on on C130s, uh, uh, we had a standing joke, I guess, that. Uh, when we had a Operation Deny Christmas. So every time we went and had our leave planned for Christmas, uh, it was quite often denied by something that happened around the globe. And the reason for that, it became very evident that um, whatever happened, the C-130 was always a critical element, purely because of all of the amazing things and the range of things that it offers. Uh, I guess I could go back and look at all of the things we've been involved in, and I won't mention them all, but uh, most recently people would remember... Uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. Uh, that's uh, probably the longest continual conflict we've been involved in. And the C-130s have been there the whole time. Um, And not too far back, East Timor, we've got Solomon Islands, Bougainville, uh, a number of, uh, even all the way back to Vietnam, there's a number of conflicts we've been involved in. And that's, I guess, the stuff that everyone loves to talk about. But in the background of all of that, the C-130s, been there for all of the disasters. So you think of the cyclones, the floods, the fires. I was heavily involved in the tsunami in 2006, uh, earthquakes in Christchurch. Domestically and internationally, the c 130s involved and it's uh, a humanitarian aid. The C-130s have a search and rescue capability. And when you look at uh, the tasking it can do, it can get in and out of a lot of different places um, and it can deliver stuff in a lot of different ways like through airdrop or landing in dirt strips and places not many can go to, uh, provide support to uh, the special forces. Uh, and if you wanna go the stuff that I really love, it's the tactical bits and pieces um, involving things like night vision goggles. So day and night, they can provide all these wonderful things. So I guess to uh, going through all of that, to answer your question, the C-130 is just so incredibly diverse that the training uh, is so critical to ensuring that the crews are proficient to go out and do the job when they're called on.
0: Thank you, Justin. And I guess the, the key thing is that in reality, and, and as uh, Daryl alluded to before, we introduced, or the RAF introduced, uh, flat, full flight simulators uh, with sufficient fidelity to ensure the safety of our aviators. And But in reality, since then, um, the systems have not evolved a lot. We're still looking at airplanes with simulators And uh, I guess generally we're seeing that air forces around the globe are looking at ways of improving the efficiency and the effectiveness of their training. And particularly, for example, the USAF is looking at the, or is conducting the Palo Training Next program, which is looking at integrating new and innovative training solutions into existing platforms. So what impact do you think these new methodologies and technologies could have um, to address the the efficiency and effectiveness of the current uh, C-130J training system.
2: For those in the Air Force that have been around long enough, that 707 crash uh, and is, is stuck in a lot of people's minds. It was a real pivot point. And there's a number of other pivot points with aviation safety, um, like the uh, Black Hawk crash. I think that was about 1996. And uh, the F-111 crash. There's all of these really key moments that have helped shape safety. Um, and I think uh, selfishly, when I look through a lens of CAE, um, suddenly there was a moment where people understood if we, we introduced some technology like the synthetic synthetic training world into the arsenal, we could make the world a safer place um, by not doing really crazy uh, high risk uh, training in the aircraft when we could uh, equally get the benefits on the ground. So so that, that was a, a real turning point. Um, probably in the 1990s, uh, where that started to take shape. Um, I actually think we we might be on a a bit of a pivot point for the next, uh, I guess, the next generation of training when we're starting to see machines be introduced. Um, So everyone likes talking the buzzwords like AI and AR, so artificial intelligence, augmented reality. And there's a range of tools across industry, not just in CAE that people are exploring. And there's good reason, I think, that they're doing it the market at the moment from my perspective is particularly challenging i think there's a shortage of pilots um, and there's pressures across multiple lanes of competition defense forces in particular the air force is, is particularly interested in um, from what the conversations i'm hearing in reducing training times to get that throughput going and, and also getting better quality outcomes uh, but also getting training time out of the aircraft so that they can use it for tasking because uh, they really do use it, particularly in an Air Force like the Royal Australian Air Force. So the benefits, I think there's lots of them, but to try and summarise, I I guess uh, there is uh, an overall potential to reduce operating costs by moving to ground-based training. Um, I I think we can certainly speed up the throughput um, by using technology, by reducing those timelines and getting the quality through um and uh and uh i think we can reduce the the flight time as i said reduce the training time uh, for people coming through and uh, the quality is something that i'm really uh interested in uh, i got shown something uh, not too long ago i've been really interested in where CAE is heading with technology and there's a couple of and you'll know it rodrigo way better than i do but uh, things like tracks and and rise Um, I actually saw the videos and the application of some of these devices and how it will assist an instructor, uh, but also assist a student and have that adaptive learning style. So uh, work on the things that people aren't doing well at rather than keep working on stuff that they are great at. That's a great initiative. Uh, But I was particularly impressed with the instructor um, side of the house in the assistance that a machine can pick up in identifying root cause issues, uh, but equally being able to go back and actually hone in uh, really specifically at key moments where where bad things happened and be able to provide the data to support uh, what was going on. Uh, that that will provide some efficiencies and be able to allow an instructor, I think, to hone in very quickly on what's going wrong and get the results a lot quicker. So I think it's an exciting time and we're starting to see all of these things come out on the floor. and. I'm interested to see where it goes and how excited the customer might be about these, given uh, the challenges that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, and actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that we just come out of doing a demonstration to Air Force headquarters using our Sprint VR trainer here at uh, our Homebush uh, office, VR, AI, our con- technologies, it is the application of these technologies that help, um, particularly in reduction of uh, resources and and relieving that that, uh, workload that instructors have all the time. I was going to ask you, Darrell, could you run us through what these devices that we have for uh, the C-130J capability are and uh, what CAE's role is
1: in making sure that training happens for Air Force on c130 Js. First up we have the big one which is the uh, the full flight mission simulator known as the FFMS. Uh, we had a fuselage trainer which is essentially a back end of a c130 j uh, aircraft, which has all moving parts as well. Uh, we have a uh, computer-based training system which we can train the uh, the pilots, the loadmasters and the maintainers on the uh, the different systems within the C130 j. And also, we have a virtual reality system, which is called for uh, tactical um, awareness training for the for the loadmasters. was used uh, intensively during the uh, the Iraqi war and the Afghanistan war as well for the loadmasters when they were in theatre, uh, when the C-130J was flying in that sort of uh, hostile environments. Uh, as far as availability, um, that's our main purpose here as maintainers. Uh, we are to maintain these devices and keep them available uh, for the maximum amount of time. Uh, history has shown that we are—we do that uh, with 98% or even more more than 98% availability throughout the time that CAE has been uh, providing the service to the Air Force. And we are very flexible too, even during the COVID-19, uh, 20, 21 era. We actually did not stop working. We kept working as um, the RAF was classed as an essential service when it came to defence of the country and also for the humanitarian side. So as CAE, we actually just continued to work as per normal. We've um, just employed two new uh, simulator technicians uh, from the current operating squadron of 37 Squadron. So that brings into our fold a lot more of aircraft experience.
2: All my technicians on site are actually ex-defence, which is also great. Interestingly, uh, from Daryl's side of the house, with the the CAE support by providing all of these services, certainly something I experienced in my time at C-130 is when the call comes through for uh, us to support, particularly in Operation Deny Christmas, uh, quite often we have to call on CAE to open the sim because people are uncurrent and required to do their, their training. Before they can go and launch on missions, so it's not uncommon for CAE to be called up, and people like Daryl get the call and have to round up the people to go and make that happen. So, so being a part of a C-130 operational unit like this is, uh, is quite a, often a team environment, uh, including industry. I like that operation
0: and uh, Christmas. Part of that, uh, I imagine, is uh, you know the the threat environment, the the uh, security environments that air force operates in are continually changing we mentioned the number of conflicts and in fact we're now shifting from uh, more of an insurgency type uh, environment uh, conflict environment to uh, a different theater uh, in the uh, pacific in the south china sea so um, i imagine that uh, there will be a whole bunch of effort around. Making sure that the C-130J capability remains sharp. So, what what sort of things do, does CAE do to make sure that the aircraft, that the simulator, sorry, uh, reflect the aircraft
1: capability? Yeah, Roger, uh, Actually, at the moment, as we speak, we're actually doing a, uh, a the block upgrade, which is to uh, to align the simulator and uh, and the and the other devices to the current aircraft it has just done a yeah a major upgrade it's mainly an avionics upgrade that involves actually a lot of uh, changes to the simulator we have a lot of software changes and a lot of hardware um, inclusions and and deletions justin before or
0: earlier we were talking about aviation safety um i understand the c-130j simulator is the only or perhaps the first level d simulator in the world is that is that right and and also i guess what does that actually mean what benefits does that, that bring to to raf and 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 how do we do that
2: yeah i'm actually not sure if it's the only level d simulator in the world i'm pretty sure it was the first certainly the first of region uh, and uh i guess for me i think back to and this is going to show my age a little bit but I think back to when I started uh, in training, and um, Daryl, you you were there at a similar time to what we transitioned from, and being oh, yeah. on H. Uh, yeah, what we we were on H models, and I still remember that sim in that building, which was a black blank screen with just a few light dots um, to sort of represent a runway, and we got some training out of a, a bit of a clunky system to effectively transitioning to seeing this level D simulator, which effectively is all but as good as the aircraft. It was a monumental shift in capability. When you really examine it, and I think the trigger point really was from a safety perspective, we started to take it really seriously that we don't want to do those really dangerous um, training activities in the air. And it provided a platform for us to go and do really proper training uh, um, and do dangerous things and test and adjust and train our crews to be able to s- survive certain scenarios if something went wrong. What a terrific capability uh, the Level D uh, uh, sim has been and it's been uh, the case for ever since and it's the go-to for many people that want to do uh, uh, pilot training and it's now sifting into other training ac- activities with other trades as well
0: it's more than simulators and definitely maintainers as we talked about with Daryl before are fundamental to this capability. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the instructors and, and that and um, what that bro- workforce bring and how we work with the Air Force to make that possible?
2: Yeah. So C- yeah. CAE traditionally was uh, responsible for um, basically integrating a si- and delivering a simulator and maintaining it and engineering those uh, updates. Uh, but in about 2005, and this is another first of type, the, the RAF basically uh, opened the doors for uh, two RAF instructors, pilots, and, and a, couple, a load master and a flight engineer. We might've had two flight engineers originally, I'm not sure, uh, because of the H model, to come into the instructor team. And, and ever since that time, the CAE has been an integral part of the instructor team, uh, delivering pretty much everything that the squadron delivers, um, CAE does, with a focus on training, training those ab initio uh, aspects but also as we've seen we've got some real talent in the team and uh, some of them are getting on a little bit to show how much experience they have and the RAF tends to lean on them really hard because of what they offer so we've been part of that team and to be honest um, I think industry's got a lot to offer in that place and uh, leveraging off uh, the talents that we get uh, from The markets that we're able to tap into is something that uh, we're trying to lean on and get better um, outcomes for defence with uh, some of the challenges that we're seeing in the market at the moment. Great. And I guess um, just to
0: wrap it up, um, where do you gentlemen see the future for the C-130J capability, obviously again talking about the evolving operational environment in the region we are starting to focus on in the South China Sea. In terms of training capability, are there opportunities to collaborate with local or regional partners to not only um, support them defend themselves but also help us understand better how we can operate together.
2: It's a really interesting challenge, isn't it? And it's easy for me to say that um, uh, we can attack this with technology and distributed mission training. I genuinely think from uh, our coalition partners, that is the future and I really genuinely don't think that we're seeing the full value in what it can offer yet. And when we start seeing people invest in uh, that new wave of technology, being able to connect, I think we'll start to see the true value in mission rehearsal, being able to challenge our what we do in those environments in a synthetic world and really challenge our crews properly as opposed to uh, relying on exercises in the air where we have uh, very clear constraints as to how far we can push and how hard we can push uh, some of those crews in those environments. I think as the environment gets increasingly complex in the region and we are potentially uh, up against way more significant threats, uh, we really do need to start um, stepping it up and get to that higher higher end warfare fighting mission rehearsal type scenarios. That's probably where I see things going. uh, From a, a collaboration of the coalition and being able to provide some regional security and, and uh, some joint connective capability with our partners. I think some of our partners in the region certainly won't be able to participate in that. So that's a challenge in itself. I think Australia's starting to get more reach and got a great relationship with many of them. We put a lot of faith in our uh, government and our hierarchy in the military to put the pieces together there. And I certainly think that CAE is keen to participate in whatever capacity it can from a future perspective i see a long future for a platform like the c130 it's just hard to replace i think it's a terrific platform and i think it's going to be here for a long long time thank you
0: very much gentlemen for your time this afternoon um and uh, hope to be able to catch up with you again for another podcast in the near future thank you for listening to this episode of cae catalyst defense and security podcast We hope this content has been a stimulus to your education, thought and understanding as we expand awareness of the significant drivers within the defense industry to support mission readiness.